Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 4, Project Lawful and Their Oblivious Boyfriend. Episode 96. Not sure they're going to take 30 minutes, she tells Keltham when she catches him. I probably shouldn't report what was said. Yes and oopsie. I thought in the back of my mind that was obvious enough that everyone would get it, and even if I was right, I still should have said it out loud. I guess security can pass that along to the girls still in there in case it wasn't obvious to any of them. Right, Keltham says to the clearly visible security nearby. Can you do that? Knock. Tell them that Keltham apologizes if this part wasn't clear, but he won't ask them about any discussions they're doing while he's out, and Carissa won't report earlier ones. It'll get done. Keltham almost asks Carissa if it's an okay time for a hug, before remembering, like, everything else about how their relationship is supposed to work. He just takes her and pulls her to him instead, leaning into her a bit. We need to spend time together today, Keltham says aloud. I think my brain starts to slightly forget how our relationship works if we don't regularly do stuff. It's still very new to this and learning. I was actually just thinking the same thing. I have a bunch of disorganized thoughts on Asmodia and myself and becoming Dathilani and, uh, staying Carissa, even the parts of me that don't hold up, and I would like to spend time with you and be confused out loud instead of in my head. Also, it kept nagging at me, the thing you said about how in the conspiracy world I was pretending to want this, so I came up with a bunch of clever ways you could verify that I wasn't, but I guess I shouldn't tell you them since they could just be the things the conspiracy could fake. But I did come up with a bunch, and you probably could too. You know, I was thinking that I should maybe lay off that conspiracy thing, except maybe with Asmodia and Ioni or something. Nobody else is commenting on it at all, where a class of Dathalani would have completely run away with it by now. Because in civilization they would, well they'd have trusted in the reality of their ordinary world, that I'd come to the right answer so long as that was reality, and so wouldn't walk out on them and ruin their careers. In Galarian, they probably have no idea of all the obvious precautions I'd take about not jumping to that conclusion too quickly, not concluding for sure it was true when I was still in the maybe-faces-in-the-clouds stage. Now that I say that out loud, I'm suddenly worried that everyone in the classroom was paralyzed with terror the whole time I was talking, and wouldn't have dared to say anything about it, because, for all they know, that's what I think the conspiracy would do. Paralyzed in terror is a bit strong, but I think they aren't sure they're safe, as long as they're in fact not running an elaborate lie. Yeah, like... If a person with a chelish amount of law tried to decide if they were inside an elaborate conspiracy, using the kinds of evidence you use, what they ended up deciding would be almost completely unpredictable. I know you're not, reading entrails, but it's sometimes hard to see what makes it work. Though so I would have sort of expected Ioni to have warned me about that. Carissa, you need to warn me about that sort of thing. Oh, is that what Ioni meant by her request? That's a genuine error, relayed through security while Carissa tried to keep her bathroom break, bathroom length. She understood Ioni to be proposing that she take Keltham aside and say, you know, if we were in a conspiracy, that talk would have been very scary, which seemed like a terrible plan, 
But if, in fact, Ione was proposing pointing out that girls might wrongly think Keltham could get this wrong, then Carissa owes her an apology. And maybe to be slightly less quick to shoot down the excessively clever plans from Team Excessively Clever Plans, just because they're heretics and in love with their own self-concepts as geniuses. Yeah, that's fair. I'm sorry, I don't think the girls are very scared. They joke about it some when you're not around, but... But probably, if you asked them probabilities, they'd say they think there's at least a 10 or 20% chance you'll decide... Conspiracy even assuming there isn't one. And then the other part of this is that in Galerion, if there were a conspiracy, you'd demand the heads of everyone in it, right? But I don't think anyone thinks you'd do that. It just hovers as an association with conspiracy. The thought that I could possibly be interpreted as meaning that the women in my class had formed a dark conspiracy against me, without the consent of the Chelish government backing them, had literally never crossed my mind at all. The thought that you were all being held there against your will and figuring out an elaborate plot to get me out along with yourselves? Yes, though only because tropes. That other one? No. No, I mean, if there's a conspiracy, it's got to have at least one of the Queen or the Church. But that doesn't mean they'd double down if they were doing a conspiracy and got caught at it, rather than saying, Sorry, we'll kill everyone in the chain of command that authorized this, Friends now? I mean, they wouldn't. Because hypothetically, they've got to understand you reasonably well to have pulled off all of this, and so well enough to notice you wouldn't be impressed. But that's how a conspiracy among Galarian people playing Galarian sorts of power games might shake out. Though, again, no one who has met you is plausibly worried about this. It's just kind of hovering as a literary association. I'll tell them I'm sorry when I get a chance. Remind me if I don't. It's not easy for me to guess, still, what terrible associations people here might have. I'll remind you. They might have less of them than me, honestly. They were younger when the church took charge. I am, for the first time in my life, having something like imposter syndrome, I think. That's where you get a sense that you're trying to do something beyond your own competence, and furthermore pretending to be better at it than you are, instead of being honest about that but not, like, consciously. Just the sense that what you're doing is leading other people on. Sorry, that was a topic change. It's not about conspiracy stuff. It's about my presuming to lay out equity distributions for a big, important startup. That's not like going up against Zon Kuthon the way that protagonists do in books. That's something people do in real life, and civilization would not have picked me to do that in real life. Well, the equity distribution seemed pretty reasonable to me, and civilization's not here to have opinions or make horrified faces. Yeah, I'll just go on being the incredibly impressive person that I am, in virtue of nobody here having ever seen better. Sounds like a plan. If we ever figure out how to materialize the other lost dead into Galarian, please don't hate me for pretending to be more than I was, because I did warn you, right now and here, of how it would be if it went like that. Keltham... If we do that at all, it'll be because of you, and I actually think I'll still like you better. Well, if that's true, it could only possibly be because of me materializing into a world where that would be true. But we're pretty sure that was going on at least with dropping me on you at the world wound, even if nowhere else in all of this. So fine and fair enough, I guess. Security notifies them that the girls say they're done. He'll head on back. While he does, he'll ask a question. Carissa, 
Am I right that girls is not a particularly respectful form of address for Project Lawful's Tier 1 and Tier 2 researchers reporting to me? Yeah, a little out of line, though I've been doing it too. They're just all girls, see, and it's very salient. Civilization has, like, shorter respectful words to pluralize a flock of brilliant young researchers, female or otherwise. I'm not sure that I want to go around making people say researchers all the time. That's a lot of syllables compared to girls. I don't suppose you have any other title suggestions there? Slaves. It's not what she'd suggest in Alter Cheliax. Not especially. You could ask everyone in case anyone thinks of something I haven't. Going on the language patterns, I'm guessing Lawfies doesn't sound great in Taldane, so probably not that one. In Baseline, you'd address them as rot, but that doesn't mesh well with Taldane either. Back they are to Breakout Room 4. Per a new directive, security has been copying all the girls continuously on new facts about Alter Cheliax, as Saber has spoken them to Keltham. Well, at least Ione doesn't need to frantically invent an excuse if Keltham asks why she didn't say anything, since Ione already figured out her excuse on that subject earlier, as soon as her request to warn Keltham got turned down, thereby making that excuse predictably necessary later. If Ione was still an Asmodean, she'd be asking about whether she got to torture Sevar, still on her standard punishment regimen, about this. But she's not. So she isn't. So actually, even before I ask for your verdict, I should quickly mention and apologize for a social error. When I talked about the conspiracy hypothesis, I was assuming in the back of my mind that you'd know civilized Dothalani in an ordinary world, even one like Galarian, would be pretty unlikely to screw up and suddenly decide they were in the conspiracy world for wild reasons. In other words, I thought anyone in the ordinary world would know they were safe, and could just say whatever they wanted about that, since after all, anything they actually do is something that somebody in the ordinary world would do, and I would figure that out in the limit. Carissa has observed to me that people in Galerion may not know and trust to this safety in the same way, and also mentioned that albeit possibly less in the new Cheliacs you grew up in than the older Cheliacs she remembers. Accusing people of being in a conspiracy often goes along with demanding their heads. That is not the way that I think about things, though Carissa thought you'd probably seen enough of me to guess that. If I made anyone nervous for either reason, I apologize. I mention this swiftly and now, just in case you were thinking that I was thinking that only somebody in the conspiracy would object to their equity allocations or salaries. I tell you now that this is not at all the case. Do you need any further time to reconsider given that update? There's a chorus of no's. A couple of researchers, the ones more confident in their own acting abilities, allow themselves to look slightly relieved. Anything slight isn't going to make it across the expression reading gap. Your verdict on the general proposal, then? It's great, and we're going to be rich, Meritzel says. I always wanted a pet pseudo-dragon so I might buy one. Fair warning. I'll say it again. Don't assume that your slowly vesting share allocations are the same thing as wealth in hand. They're tokens of a plan to become wealthy. A cunning scheme we're hatching together, which might not work. Those shares are not, yet, wealth, whose existence and continued existence you can trust in and make plans based upon. This is a standard and proverbial warning out of civilization. If by rich you just meant your base salaries, that's fine. Yep. The pseudo-dragon is three weeks of the pay that's definitely happening. I'm mostly not thinking about the rest. Then great. I'm off to talk to Mayal. 
I misunderstood your proposal for what to say to Keltham, and the thing you actually wanted to do was fine and not stupid. I apologize, says Carissa flatly to Ione. My excuse to Keltham will be that I thought maybe the rest of you would not want me to say that on your behalf, and I hadn't then been appointed Nathesian officer in charge of preventing Asmodeans from hurting themselves, so I agonized about it a bit and then didn't say anything. I accept your apology on behalf of Lord Nethys, Sevar. Good luck doing the same with Asmodeus. Heretics are really annoying. That's probably why they're illegal. My yol to Sever. Keltham wants to know, since I thought a similar new recurring expense a week later wouldn't be a good look, about his advance requesting capacity to hire up to another 8200 GP slash week researchers at similar but non-bonus salaries, though he expects he might end up with four more 200-week people and four more 100-week people instead. He's also inquiring, what if anything I know about Cheliak sending him more job candidates? Subirox has previously mentioned that she expects to have candidate portfolios ready for Sever to review with her, arriving with tomorrow morning's mail. You should have applicants for him tomorrow. Hiring eight would be a big lift for you politically. Maybe he can teach us some metalworking or something with immediate self-demonstrating value, which would make it go over easier? Keltum nodded along about early application stuff, says that he needs to work out some sort of interim contract meant to be replaced so he can get moving on that, and try to have that contract in place before anyone gets a permanent job offer. Keltham wants to know how Cheliax is likely to feel about sending him people on one-week tryouts while he's trying to find one thing in his memories that clearly adds value. On 300 GP for a week contracts like the last ones, and with probabilistic warnings about the fate of the last set of 11 applicants given their prior intelligence and wisdom scores. That is costly to us if he does it for lots of people, since we may end up losing a significant share of our most promising wizards in wartime, but not costly in a way that can't be compensated for. Cheaper if we can tell them up front it's hell if they don't make it, instead of setting up the fortress to accommodate a growing share of people not on the project. Looks weirded out. Wants to know how many people he can try out without either results or having to do the hell thing. Probably another dozen, maybe two dozen. Seems reassured he expects to be fine with that. Says, something in his memories has got to look quick and impressive. He's done with me and heading out now. No, wait, he's back. Wants to know how he goes about actually buying anything using his salary. Since he assumes, maybe wrongly, that it's basically just not safe for him to leave the fortress. Wants to know if his researchers get to leave the fortress, and if he can send along some sort of comms link to poke through magic item shops vicariously. Better yet would be some sort of book with lots of items for sale and prices that he can order from somewhere, but he'll be pleasantly surprised if that exists here. Probably not safe for him to leave the fortress, given what happened last time. He can scry people who are shopping for him and see everything they're doing, and if all the effort is being gone to just set that up, might as well do it for his girls, too. There is not a book of items and prices. Keltham is heading out again. Only Nethys knows if he'll actually get to you this time before he thinks of something else. Keltham's back. New salaries confirmed. Tomorrow is your first payday if nothing goes wrong on Maylal's end. Shopping can be done remotely via scries. 
How do people feel about taking a break versus just launching straight into Asmodia's attempt to replace Keltham in his next lecture? Followed shortly after by her deducing everything else Keltham knows about law from an equally small set of hints, thus replacing his law lectures entirely and reducing him to the role of a rememberer of particular technology tricks, which to be clear is worth more than 2% equity if she can pull that off. We've sort of had a break while you were negotiating, Gregoria says. Do you need one? I'm young, in good health, and queued up a lesser restoration now that I actually have a book of cleric spells and know what that is. I'll be fine. Let's head to the library, Asmodia. You're up. Wait! You first need to tap everybody with an owl's wisdom who hasn't already had one. Some of Ioni's worry has been alleviated by Sivar trying to stay on top of things now, but that didn't happen in Alter Cheliax. That's Tonya, Merichel, and Sivar among the survivors, unless they've already had one recently. And Pilar. I did one last night. No bizarre revelations, says Tonya. I think it helped with the homework. It has been three days for me, though, admittedly, they were eventful days. I'll do it later, Meritzel says. There have been a lot of interruptions, and I'd like to please learn probability. If I have an existential crisis, I'll say, You were right, Ioni, and you know how much I'd hate that, so you know I think I won't. And Pilar? Ioni stops herself before saying that Pilar is by far the sanest person in this fortress, including herself and Keltham and would be the one left alive to clean up the mess if everyone else was driven mad by void creatures. That may not be true in Alter Cheliax. Uh, Pilar has it pretty together, in my own opinion, which is why I almost forgot to list her, but if she wants to... I also expect I'll be fine waiting to try it slightly later. To the library, then, where Asmodia will enlighten all here, save myself. Keltham heads out first. What with him being the leader and all that. Okay, Ioni was going to say something there, and in a trope's world, what she didn't say was important. Pilar has sanity powers? Pilar is actually 3,000 years old? Pilar shouldn't have any additional weird property that doesn't stem from either her Caden Kylian stuff or her obligate fetish. But then, on that trope's logic, Asmodia shouldn't have had experienced that event, leading to her getting a plus-six wisdom headband. And on non-trope's logic... Ione stopped herself from saying some much more mundane private info, like how she's seen Pilar survive a demon attack. Well, anyways. All right, she's up. She could do this better if she asks for a cunning and a splendor first. But it's not clear if they want Keltham to know the full breadth of what the most enhanced version of Asmodia can do. No. Wrong question. What does Alter Asmodia do here? She tries it the hard way first, before asking for more resources, because she doesn't think she can just plead for another ten wizards to provide her more cunning and splendor as needed, and she's more impressive and valuable if she doesn't need it. Her students file into the classroom, one true Dath Ilani among them taking what had been Asmodia's seat, and Asmodia, then, begins to hold forth upon the law. Asmodia, you want, and for that matter I want, to ask people how far they think they got on their own on the seven problems, before you tell them your own versions of the answers. Right. Um, how far do people think they got, and to what extent do they think they got, interesting meanings they could talk about, not just formulas? Most of them got the first five, and Gregoria thinks she got six. They think they get what they mean, but only if it's not anything that profound. 
Merritt still only got three because she was occupied last night, which she is cheerfully unapologetic about. Keltham definitely looks surprised and pleased. Asmodia possibly looks surprised and disappointed not to be that far ahead of everyone else. I did have to get a fox's cunning to get that far, Ione says. I'd have seen if anyone had an owl's wisdom left to use on top of cunning if I still couldn't get it. And I think Asmodia was taking a run at hers, unenhanced, at first, before, uh, stuff happened. If you're trying to figure out who's smarter than who, then you need to tell us to not use enhancements, or all use the same enhancements, I guess. Ione is the main one here who had to guess at her story instead of just living it. The interaction she had with Asmodia didn't occur in Alter Cheliax. Well, and Savar, she supposes, and obviously Asmodia. Actually, that sounds like a good thing to me, if we can just apply enhancements as needed to stay in sync, instead of relying on civilization having matched everyone here for expected learning speed on this exact topic. Noted about the effect that has on testing. Asmodia, when you're asking somebody else to describe their solution before you describe yours, or in general to give their own opinion before you tell them yours, the usual rule is that Tier 2s speak before Tier 1s and Tier 1s speak before Tier 0. I am not actually used to being a Tier 0 anything, and people may need to spend a week calling me out on my errors there. All right then. Terrifically anti-Asmodean, but obvious in its intended purpose. Superior intellects can't properly test inferior ones and show them their place if they go around telling their inferiors the true answers. I kind of want to get to the profound parts, especially if everyone already got the non-profound parts, Asmodia says. What with those parts being the ones that are properly impressive in terms of how much further she got than everyone else. Let's just run through quickly to check non-profound parts of the first five. Except for hash two, surprising claims require surprising evidence, which doesn't even really have a non-profound part. It would have a simple math part, if I hadn't already shown you that simple math part, by calculating ratios between probabilities before evidence, let's call them prior probabilities, too long priors for short in Taldane, and ratios between probabilities of observations. If I were making you figure out the whole law of probability for yourself, the way you should properly be doing with kids when they grow up. Hash 2 would have been a harder problem than hash 1, and you probably would have gotten it only a few days later. That made an unexpected amount of sense. Also, wow, civilization goes hardcore on its kids. Maybe not in terms of how they get punished for failing, but in terms of how hard the things are that they're expected to do. Could these two facts possibly be correlated in some way, Cheliax? Well, not the time. Tonia, what'd you get for hash one? Keltham will actually just go rewrite the problems while that's going on, for convenience. 1. Your strength in the way is your ability to be more confused by fiction than by reality. If you're equally good at explaining any outcome you can see, that's the same as not knowing anything. 2. Surprising claims require surprising evidence. Unsurprising evidence suffices for unsurprising claims. 3. No empirical theory can prove itself except by risking its disproof. 4. To convince me of your theory, make a correct prediction that no other theory makes. 5. A precise true prediction is much more convincing than an imprecise true one. 6. It is impossible to coherently expect to convince yourself of anything. 7. 
You can't expect anyone else to convince you of something either, even if you think they're controlling everything you see. Do you want my proof or my explaining what it means? Both, why not? What does it mean to not know anything? First, I said, not knowing anything is assigning equal weights to each possible future outcome, but that does mean you at least know what the possible outcomes are, so I don't think that's quite it. Then I said, knowing things is your negative two score, which also isn't right because not having any guesses is what not knowing anything is, and you do better in the negative two game by not having any guesses. And you could say, okay, what does it mean to not have any guesses? Can we put that into math? So I tried that. And what I came up with, with a fox's cunning, was uh, a definition of being surprised. You're surprised by however many twos you lose. So imagine a predictor that no matter what happens is the same amount of surprised, loses the same amount of twos. The value of consulting that predictor is zero. Being the same amount surprised by everything is the same as knowing nothing. And I think actually maybe that's the most satisfying definition of knowing nothing. That the value of consulting you is zero. She puts up an illusion with her notes as she talks. She's talking fast and seems a bit nervous. She's not on the light punishment regime, but she doesn't think that's why she's nervous. Alter Tonya is just worried she'll get fired if she said something stupid. Hmm. Anyone else in Tier 2 want to add or argue anything for that? Else, anyone in Tier 1? I'll save my interpretations for last, when we're through all the problems. And then Keltham goes after all of mine, I think. I had the notion that it's pointing at a form of unlawfulness where people try to get out of being caught at being bad at predicting by being clever at arguing about it. Let's say there's a guide who claims to be very good at unraveling dungeons. So you take them along on a delve, and you get to a splitting path that can go six different ways, with some clues. One person who's already been past that level knows which one of the six paths leads down to the next level, and which five lead into trapped rooms. And they ask the person who claims to be a good guide which path is correct, and the guide could, if you told them a path, come up with an argument for why it was obviously that path. But if you don't tell them which path, and they come up with six arguments for all six paths, then even if those arguments all sound tremendously intelligent and clever, they obviously don't know anything useful. If you ask them for probabilities on the six paths instead of arguments, you can just score them and that's it. That's how well they did and how much, uh, reward they should get paid. So putting numbers and probabilities on things is lawful, and arguing about them isn't. Gregoria nods. It's like, imagine everyone around you has 30 points more splendor than you. How do you believe anything at all they say? And you just have to make them predict it in advance. I got as far as working out that if everything sounded equally appealing, that was the same as assigning equal probability to anything that might happen. I didn't realize we were supposed to keep working on anything once we got past that point. Well, and the probabilities have to sum to one or less, is I think the key idea there. You can't say that everything is very probable, the way that you can come up with really appealing justifications for each of them. They'll run through hash one, then interpretations of hash two, then interpretations of hash three. Asmodia is a little put out by other people being clever at all, but she's still reasonably sure of her ability to sound more impressive than the sum of all their reasoning. Once it's her own turn, 
Three is, if you can't say what would prove you wrong, you aren't saying anything. If the church couldn't say, if in fact practically all people got sorted good, then Asmodeanism wouldn't be true, then it's not saying anything. Are we just making up heresies on the spot to win arguments in probability class now? Is that what we're doing? Gregoria hates all these people. So, I mean, for hash four, I think for seeing the meaning, it helps to see how obvious it is. Like, sure the equations say that if P path two, fire level, equal sign P path two, water level, then seeing it was path two that led down level doesn't give you any information about the next level's elemental orientation being fire or water. But also, if you didn't have to make a prediction no other theory makes, you could go around saying, I'm the best predictor in the world, I predict better than Namemel. Yesterday, I put 99.9999% probability on the sun still being on fire today, and today it was. And everybody else would go, incredible, such a prediction, so much probability on the correct outcome. Wow. Pilar, remember that time Ioni had to deliver a prophecy about an incoming Nadal attack? It wouldn't have been a good thing for Asmodeus's interests if the Asmodeans had spent a lot of time questioning how that might be a cunning Nethys plot before acting on it, right? What is this about, and what are you angling to get me to do without questioning it? Actually, Pilar's curse is just telling Pilar to signal security to start reading her thoughts. They don't usually waste attention on Pilar, since she's loyal and doesn't usually have suggestions or orders for other people. And Pilar's curse doesn't want Pilar to argue about that. Fine. Pilar casts Mage Hand under her desk and taps one of the two security in class. No more signal than that should be necessary. They've got arcane sight and can see whose hand it is. Security, relay the following to save our priority verbatim. In a few minutes, Pilar's curse will make a request that Pilar might otherwise argue with or doubt or spend too much thought questioning because she's lacking context. Pilar's curse requests that Saber command Pilar to obey to the best of her ability, without questioning the request or spending a lot of energy trying to figure out why her curse is asking this. The suggestion, when it comes, will be that Pilar not hold back her opinions the way she almost always does, and that she tell Keltham very frankly everything that she actually actually feels about something Keltham will say. As Savar has already seen, it's sometimes possible to make headway with Keltham by speaking truly from your heart without trying to manipulate him. Nobody else needs to do anything special so long as that part works. As it happens, this act will serve the interests of Asmodeus and Caden Kylian and also Broom's God. The context Pilar is missing is about Broom's God and that you wouldn't expect Pilar's curse to lie about that part because that would get Caden Kylian in trouble. Don't try to actually explain about Broom's God right now. That would distract Pilar. Order security to stand by to tap Pilar with eagle's splendor when Pilar's curse gives the word. It's probably not necessary. Pilar can probably do it anyways, but it might help her a little. Or if nobody on staff has eagle's splendor, there's still enough time to emergency teleport one of the eight circle wizards in from the front lines so they can use a limited wish for that. Haha. -ha. Pilar's curse isn't actually funny. At all. If something is actually funny, you don't need to add haha at the end to let other people know it's supposed to be funny. Pilar's curse knows that, right? Pilar's curse is wounded. Pilar's curse is the essence of hilarity. It's just that sometimes Pilar's curse is other things, too. What would the Grand High Priestess do? Pilar, do it. Acknowledged. Pilar is incredibly fine with this. 
Pilar is not asking any further questions inside her own mind, even. Her curse submitted the request to Sevar instead of herself, which is a proper and Asmodian way to do things, and her superior told her that it was fine to shut up and obey and not ask questions. Pilar wishes that situation would happen to her a lot more often these days. Pilar wishes her curse would do everything like this. Savar does have anything else to do with her life besides run Pilar's life. Pilar knows that is true, but Pilar doesn't have to like it. Carissa really hopes this is not Kate and Kaylian betraying them all. No, she should make predictions. 20%. Kate and Kaylian betraying them all. 30%. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash AI. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.